It's 835, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. We start off today's program like we start off every program, three big things. Um, We are on Supreme Court Watch. Uh, Today is the final day of the Supreme Court's term. They are in the process of releasing a series of decisions I am following that as we speak, testing my multitasking. Uh, perhaps the, the two most watched cases that still remain are, first of all, the Trump travel ban. Um, I think as everybody knows by now, President Trump wants to implement a temporary ban on travel from various countries. That ban has been put on hold by courts, uh, both the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals and the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, the Supreme Court is expected to decide today not on the merits of the case, but whether they're going to accept the case and whether they are going to lift the injunctions which would allow the ban to take effect. So we are watching that. That decision should come out almost any minute. In addition, there's another court case that's being watched closely involving a a parochial school in Missouri who applied for federal funds to help build a safe playground. And at the time, it was shot down because of a Missouri law that prohibited public funds from being used for private schools. And this is being watched by private school advocates all across the country. The argument was essentially, well, um, if you had a a private school that was burning down or there was a... A uh, situation where there was a hostage drama, you wouldn't. The fire department wouldn't be prohibited from coming because the place was burning down, or the police department wouldn't be prohibited from coming because it's a parochial school. So the analysis is: Well, why should the parochial school, if the interest is making safe playgrounds for kids, why should the parochial school not be entitled to public financing? Um, everybody is watching that case and the travel ban. That will hopefully be part of our three big things, but um, I will comment on them as soon as the decisions are released. So let's start with big thing number one, a soda tax. If you are traveling to the Chicago area um, starting, what, Saturday, July 1st, and you decide that you want to help yourself to a soda, it's a hot summer day, you're in Cook County, you're in the Chicago area, and you're thirsty. So you decide that you're going to, hey, go into one of those little grocery stores and you want to buy yourself, well, let's say a let's say a two liter bottle of of Coke. You know, gonna get that two liter bottle of Coke and you know go off and enjoy the day. Or Mountain Dew or whatever. Starting on Saturday, Cook County has implemented a new penny per ounce tax on a wide variety of sugar and artificially sweetened beverages. So let me put this in perspective. That two-liter bottle of Coke, which typically costs a dollar, will now incur a 67-cents soda tax. So you will pay 67 cents, one cent per ounce, in tax in addition to what you pay for the cost. This is an incredible... You know, when you look at the percentages of what soda costs, this is an incredible increase in tax. The justification, of course, is that, well, sugary soda is is not good for you. um, And so as a result, we want to discourage use. So what we're going to do is we're going to implement the tax. 
This applies to any non-alcoholic beverage that is either sugar or artificially sweetened. So this also applies to fountain drinks as well as bottled and canned beverages. The tax applies to soda and diet soda, ready-to-drink sweetened coffees and teas, sports and energy drinks, and juice products that aren't 100% fruit or vegetable juice, among other beverages. It does not apply to, say, if you go into a Starbucks and you order your black coffee and you decide to sweeten it yourself, um, it, it doesn't apply. Only pre-sweetened things. But it's a penny, a, but it's a significant cost to the extent that it is a um, penny per ounce. So this is going to add up extremely quickly. Now, interestingly enough, if you go and you buy your sugary drinks with food stamps, the tax doesn't apply. <laughs> it doesn't apply. It doesn't apply to food stamps. So if you're on food stamps, you can buy the sugary soda, um, but you don't have to pay the soda tax, which to me makes very, very little sense. But this is going to be a big deal. A number of communities are starting to do this, and some people are saying, okay, should this be the model across the country? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is big story number one. Starting on Saturday in Chicago, a one cent per ounce, a penny per ounce tax on anything with sugar in it, in a liquid form, on a soda tax. Should we follow suit here? And you might say, well, what's the big deal about a penny an ounce? Well, I mean, keep in mind, even a small soda is going to be 12 ounces, so that's 12 cents tax just on a can of soda. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this is absurd. Where do you come down on it? Should we do it in Milwaukee? It's a great way, I guess, potentially of raising revenue. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 844, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. And, and let me show you how broadly this, this this sugary drink tax is going to be applied in Chicago starting on Saturday. Let's say you go into a bar or a restaurant and you order a margarita. The margarita would be taxed because it has sugary stuff in it. You order a gin and tonic. Well, unless it's, well, I guess even if it is diet tonic water, that would be taxed. So you're going to be paying taxes on that as well. If you order whiskey straight, well, you wouldn't be paying taxes because that's not a sugary drink. And again, one of the reasons they're trying to do this, they say, is we want to improve. We want to improve health. We want to tax sugary sodas as a way of discouraging people from drinking them. But they are going to exempt people who buy things with food stamps. And there's probably a legal reason why they have to do it since it's federal money. But imagine this. You know, we, we talk a lot about how we care about the poor people. We care about obesity and all. But, you know, we're, we're going to punish other people or make it more difficult for them to buy sugary sodas or at least more expensive. But if you're on food stamps, um, welcome to the club. Let's start with Roger in McGuanago. Roger, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, this is a uh, morning. This is a total burden on the uh, retailer because most software packages or uh, you know point of sale equipment isn't equipped to handle right or, or written to handle this. This so, and I'm assuming if it's uh, if food stamps are exempt, then it's up to the retailer to collect and not the manufacturer of the sugary drink. Yes, absolutely right. It it it, it you are right. It is going to be a nightmare. For, you know, retailers, the small little convenience store to have to figure out, okay, what's a sugary drink and what's not? Okay, if you're paying with food stamps or snap cards, you know, whatever they call them, you're exempt. Otherwise, you've got to pay for it. Oh, it's going to be a nightmare. You just know it. 
Yeah, yeah. It, there's no way it's even going to happen. Uh, thanks for call. Well, I, I mean, it, it's it is going to happen. It, it's scheduled to go into effect July first. They estimate that this will generate. Now, the numbers I have were before the, the original projections were. They believe that this would generate. Get this, two hundred and twenty-four million dollars annually. Just for Cook County, Cook County is where you know Chicago is, $224 million annually. Now, that number is a little bit suspect because that number included food stamp recipients having to pay the tax as well. So you take them out, it's going to be less, but it's still going to be a ton of money. Steve in Brookfield. Steve, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, you asked the question, should this happen here? And the, the answer to that, I believe, is no. And then I'm just curious, you know, if I go to Wrigley Field and I order a 20-ounce fountain soda and they fill it half full of ice, do I pay 10 cents or do I pay 20 No, no, you pay 20 cents. <laughs> you, 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 uh, you, pay a, you pay a penny per ounce based on, you know, like this, this, this applies to fountain sodas as well. So if you're buying a 20-ounce size class or 16-ounce, you're paying, 16, you're paying, you know, 16 cents for that. As a, <laughs> as a uh, retired... Uh, recovering attorney can i do a class action lawsuit against the state of illinois for uh paying taxes on water right they, or, or or paying yeah right or or frozen water in this case ice no thanks yeah. well it's it i mean I, I had a professor in law school that said you can sue anybody for anything and lord knows we've seen that a lot steve hey thanks for the call Thank i appreciate you. it but this is but i mean this is this is one of the the other things that that is out there um you know i have a on our text line which has exploded on this you know one of the questions i have is you know what what are they going to use this for? And the answer is they're going to use it for whatever they want. Now, the idea is they say the money from the tax will support new and continuing county services, including providing health care, improving access to healthy food, and offering job training. But there's no requirement of, of that. Also, it is interesting to me, again, that if you're going to allow though. If you're going to allow food stamp recipients to be exempt from the tax, um, how are you improving the health of those living in low-income neighborhoods if, if you're still giving people the incentive to buy this with food stamps? On top of this... You know, we, we talk a lot about regressive taxes. A regressive tax is one that disproportionately hits lower-income people. I cannot imagine a more regressive tax than a, a soda tax. Let, let's take out the food stamps. But let's say you're you're at the park. It's a hot Sunday afternoon. Your kid wants a soda. Okay, your your kid wants uh, you know whatever. What wants the Mountain Dew? Come on, mom. Come on, mom. I want to have the Mountain Dew. I want to have the Mountain Dew, etc. You know, you you say okay, fine. Here, here, go go buy the sixteen ounce Mountain Dew or the thirty ounce Mountain Dew or whatever. Okay, everybody is paying that same tax. So this is something you can't buy. That the soda from the the vendor is something that you can't buy with food stamps. So everybody is buying that. Um, that impact of the tax is going to be a lot greater on the low-income person than it's going to be on the high-income person. Roger in Greenfield. Roger, you're at 620 WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Roger. Um, I, I just think I read recently where they're really broke with their pensions and everything. Oh, yes. The, it's, a tra- it's a train wreck in Illinois right now, yes. Well, i got to think maybe that that's a big part of what's going on there, too. Well, I mean, thanks for I mean, this is, well, let's see. The, the Illinois is is there was a story the other day. I mean, Illinois is apparently flirting with the idea of declaring bankruptcy 
because their, their, their pension plan is completely and totally underwater. It's just a mess. If you live in the state of Illinois, beyond just the mess that the Chicago Bears are. The, the difference, though, is this is a county tax. So this is Cook County. So the, the money that they generate would not be going to solve the state pension problem. No, this is just more money that's going to be in coming into the coffers of Cook County. A, a number of retailers, beyond just the logistics that our first caller, Roger, was talking about, a number of retailers are also concerned about this because we, we, have, a, we have a mobile society. So let's say that – let me, let me give you an example – Let's say you would live, let's say Milwaukee County were to do this, and you live in the northern part of Milwaukee County, or the western part of Milwaukee County, or the southern part of Milwaukee County. You have a number of different options where you can shop. You know, if you live in the western part of Milwaukee County, yeah, you you can shop at grocery stores in Milwaukee County, but you can drive three miles and you can have a choice of all sorts of grocery stores that are in Waukesha County. Same sort of thing. You live in northern Milwaukee County. You you can drive, you know, two and a half, three miles, and you've got all sorts of grocery stores that are in Ozaukee County. This tax only applies to Cook County. So a lot of the grocery stores, a lot of the big retailers, a lot of the liquor stores, they're concerned because they're saying, hey, you know, it's it's just really easy for people to drive, you know, two miles, and in some cases it might even be closer for them to go north than it is for, you know, them to go to grocery stores in Cook County. So they're saying, hey, this is going to hurt business as well. This is, it is a bad, it is a bad idea. When local communities implement taxes, I always believe it is a bad idea to begin with. That's one of the problems when you have added sales taxes that are added into any one particular county. It makes that county an island, especially when it comes to something that is as commonly purchased as um, this. Let's talk to Ray in Milwaukee. Ray, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Um, I think that you're going to see some crime develop from this um, as well. If it's just a county tax, you're going to have people, well, A, it's going to be great for the surrounding counties. B, you're going to have people buying tax-free soda and then selling it on the streets, like you see with the like the Lucy cigarettes in the big right. cities that have big cigarette taxes. Um, right. So I think it's going to cause a whole problem, and it's going to be they're not going to be able to regulate it. So yeah, right, exactly. It, again, it creates that sort of black market um, existence. So thanks for calling. I mean, it's and, and how do you okay? You know, how do you deal with? Um, okay, nowadays, you, you'll see, you, dr- you drive down the street, you'll see a lot of like kids that'll be out there with coolers that are selling the bottles of water for a dollar. Okay, I mean, how are you going to handle the situations where the kids are selling the cans of soda um, and uh, maybe the situation where they buy them, oh, I don't know, at an outside county, bring them in? It's just, it's a bad idea in general. I also, just on principle, object to the idea that you're going to use tax policy to try to reform behavior. I just, I think that that's, that's just fundamentally wrong. And now the next question is, and I hate to use the slippery slope argument, but all right, now, now it's sugary soda. Well, why are we stopping at sugary soda? Why aren't we imposing the tax on apple pie? or cherry pie filling, or cookies, or cakes, or ice cream, you know, you name it. I mean, you walk through a grocery store, and again, I, I understand you've got the sugary soda thing, but if your argument is going to be against sugar, my goodness, there's aisle after aisle of stuff, donuts, you know, you name it, you know, there's sugar in it, and so why are we just stopping with this? Well, the answer is, we're probably not going to be stopping with just this. <laughs> 
857, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. As I said, we're, we're on Supreme Court Watch. Today is the last day of the U.S. Supreme Court term. They are announcing decisions. There's only three decisions left, um, including two of the ones that everybody's been watching. What will they do with the Trump travel ban? Will they take the case? Will they temporarily lift the ban? In addition, big case involving a parochial school in Missouri that wanted to use but applied for public funds to improve its playground. Um, Missouri said no. Here's an interesting decision, though, something that was kind of flying over the radar. They announced that they were going to take this case next year. So they'll hear it next term. It's a case called um, the Masterpiece Cake Shop case. Now, you might say, Jeff, why do we care about the Masterpiece Cake Shop? This is a very significant issue with regard to the balancing of rights between a business, a privately held business, where the owners have significant and true religious beliefs, versus the, the rights, in this case, of a gay couple. You know, we've talked about this case and others in the past. What happened was, this is a Masterpiece Cake Shop, is a, a small cake shop in Colorado. Um, what happens is, in July of 2012, a, a gay couple who plans to marry, plan to marry in Massachusetts, um, and then they want to have a party in Colorado. They go to this small cake store, and they say, hey, we want the cake for the gay wedding. And the owner said, because of his religious beliefs, their policy was they're not making um, wedding cakes for customers who want to celebrate the wedding. They say, hey, well, we'll give you cookies. We'll give you things like that. We'll certainly sell you bread, but we're not going to make wedding cakes. So um, the gay couple went. They filed a claim with the Colorado um, with the Colorado administrative places. It went through the Colorado court system, and the gay couple won. Masterpiece Cake Shop lost. The Supreme Court said this morning they're going to hear the case. Now, I don't know necessarily what that means, but they will decide once and for all, presumably sometime in the next year, whether or not sincerely held religious beliefs can trump what's called the, no pun intended, the, the right to public accommodation. So if you sincerely oppose, for example, gay weddings, can you say, I'm not going to make a wedding cake for the gay wedding without being fined up the gazoo? All right, we'll continue on Supreme Court Watch. Big story number two is coming up. The state has until 5 o'clock today to decide whether it is going to fight a motion to release Brendan Dassey. Stick around. It's 908, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. So, Jane, I'm in full geek out mode. This, 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 this morning is one of these things where it's just some, somebody who desperately needs a life. <laughs> I mean, again, this is like, so be warned. If you are in my life, I'm in full geek out mode. Okay, because the Supreme Court is right now, this is a big day because it's the final day of the term. So they are, this is the last day where they issue rulings and they announce cases they're going to take for next year. Um, we're, we're still, and I've, I've got various, there's these, I've got people who are live blogging the Supreme Court. And sure. I'm, I'm watching that, which is. Okay, that in of itself is a geek out type of thing. You know, you're, you're live blogging, waiting for these decisions to come out. But but here's here's the even more bizarre thing. And actually, I'm not proud of the fact that I knew this. But if you want to try to predict rulings, the way the way they do it at the Supreme Court is when they're announcing opinions, they do it in reverse seniority order. So when they come out, any opinion or decision written by the newest justice, in this case, it would be uh, Gorsuch, um, that goes first. So I, I've been watching this, and then and so they do it in reverse order. They've only got three opinions left, and 
they're, they're now up to Justice Thomas, which means like a number of the more liberal members of the court are not in the majority. You, you, you can mm. kind of, as you watch this, you can kind of predict, you know, who, 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 by who's written the opinion. Sure. And so, you know, now they, they, they've skipped over a bunch of the liberal justices, and the only, the only ones that are left to issue opinions are like Thomas and Roberts and uh, Kennedy. So th- now, now there's just all this speculation about what that means for some of the cases. And, I, you know, I actually knew that. You know, I, I just knew that it was like reverse order. So you, you, you not just you only don't not only just speculate who wrote the opinion, but when they're going to announce it. I'm in full geek mode. I freely admit it. The energy is palpable. <laughs> what, can you, what can you say? Okay, people, if you're my friends, if you're my, just be warned. This is it's just kind of one of these kind of cool things. You're sitting there waiting for. We know, waiting for the decision. So, um, and, and again, we're we're still anticipating that they're going to make an announcement on the Trump travel ban, whether or not, and, and they're not going to rule on the merits. I don't believe, but what they would rule on is whether or not to let the stay of the travel ban. The travel ban has been put on hold by two different courts of appeal. What they would do today, potentially, they're they're I think going to announce how they're going to handle that that case. And, again, we're watching uh, the case that involves whether or not you can use public money, in this case, to help build a safe playground on a, at, a, at a private school. That is significant not just for a playground in Missouri, but really for you know, whether or not federal funds can be used and, and in what context they can be used to help parochial schools. So, again, I'm continuing to try to watch all of that. Big story number two. Brendan Dassey. Brendan Dassey, of course, the nephew of Stephen Avery. Um, late last week, uh, last Thursday afternoon, by a two-to-one decision, uh, a panel on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit agreed with a federal magistrate judge and found that Dassey's confession had been coerced. This was contrary to what the state courts had decided, but by a two-to-one decision with a very, very vigorous dissent, meaning the one judge who disagreed really disagreed, the court said, yep, yep, this confession was coerced. And it gave the state 90 days to either retry, and they said this order is going to go into effect within 90 days of, he either he has to be retried within 90 days, or the order goes into effect 90 days from any decision that might be rendered by the U.S. Supreme Court. On Friday, we talked to the Attorney General, and I, I had said, what comes next? And I kind of speculated what I thought it was. And the state is going to be deciding whether or not they are either going to try to appeal directly to the U.S. Supreme Court or whether they're going to ask for what's called a rehearing and bonk, which means instead of just three judges hearing the case, all the active judges on the Seventh Circuit would hear it. I believe there's nine. Um, as Attorney General Schimmel said on my program Friday, they didn't get a particularly good panel if you're, again, from the perspective of the state. So I think what's going to happen is they're going to ask the entire court to review th- this case before they try to go to the uh, United States Supreme Court. One way or the other, there's going to be an appeal to the Supreme Court. The Dassey lawyers have now come in and said, okay, you know, we won in front of the federal magistrate. We've won in front of this panel. We want our guy released. You've now got a panel decision saying, hey, he's the confession was coerced. He should be released. 
the state has until five o'clock today to decide, you know, whether to fight it and um, in what way to fight it. Let's tee this one up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What should the state do? Should the state say, pending appeal, we've lost in front of the district court, we've lost in front of at least a panel in the Seventh Circuit, we're going to continue to appeal it, but what the heck, let's let Brendan Dassey out of jail. Should he be released? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand that whenever we talk about Brandon Dassey, it is very, very controversial. I can't tell you how many emails I got over the weekend from people. Jeff, I almost always agree with you, but you're just wrong about poor Brandon Dassey. Well, I don't think Brandon Dassey is a poor young man. I think he's a guy that was responsible for a brutal He played a significant part in the brutal murder of a young woman, and I think it would be absolutely outrageous at this point in time to turn him loose. But should he be released pending an exhaustion of appeals? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should the state attorney general just say, well, we're going to try to appeal this, but what the heck, let's let him out while the process works its way through? I say no. What do you think? 414-799-1620 is the number. We discuss next. It's 915. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 917. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We are on Supreme Court Watch. Um, the U.S. Court of Appeal, the United States Supreme Court, um, and, and this is a decision that, that has much broader impact than just the initial original case by a vote of 7 to 2, and there's some concurring opinions, so I don't exactly know what what it means fully, but by a vote of 7 to 2, the Supreme Court has overruled an appellate court with regard to whether or not a private school can get public funding. In this case, it's for a playground. Um, What happened was the state of Missouri had all these different grants that were available, federal uh, state money that was going to go to that schools could apply for for safe playgrounds. So a parochial school in Missouri says, hey, you know, we've got this school. You know, we, we need safe playgrounds. We're going to apply for money. So there was going to be 15 grants, I believe, that were handed out. They had this scoring system, and the parochial school, like, ranked fourth. So it was in line for a, a it was in line for one of these grants to help, you know, make a safe playground. The state came in and said, no, 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 this is going to violate the separation of church and state. We can't give the parochial school money so it can build a safe playground. And uh, the Supreme Court, again, by 7-2 vote, just reversed that decision, essentially saying it violates the free exercise clause of the Constitution. You are essentially discriminating against the church by saying the church school would otherwise be entitled to the dough, but it's not because it is a church school. This is a significant decision beyond just the playground issue because I I think it now pretty clearly says, and I haven't read all the concurring opinions or anything like that, but at least on face value, it would be, it would mean that, you know, if, if you have public money that is available through a grant process or something like that, you cannot just deny that money to an otherwise qualified public, uh, private school. 
the argument being similar to the fact that if you had that school was on fire, for example, you wouldn't say the fire department can't go out and put out the, the fire at the church because it, it's a church or it's a church school. So this is a significant decision that's coming out today. Um, it was written by uh, Justice Roberts. And so we're still now awaiting, again, the, the travel ban decision. So we'll see where that goes. All right. As part of our big story, number two, th- this this is a significant day because the state, as long as we're talking about courts, has until 5 o'clock today to decide what it is going to do in the case of Brendan Dassey. Now, th- this isn't, and the reporting has kind of been, frankly, wrong over the weekend. Th- this isn't about an appeal. The state has um, uh, several weeks in which to decide whether to appeal the Brendan Dassey decision and how to appeal it. I think the time limit is 30 days to ask for a rehearing and bonk or whatever. So this has nothing to do with the appeal. What's happened, though, is the Brandon Dassey attorneys want him released. And they've said, hey, look, we, we've got this order that says that this confession was coerced. Let him out. If ultimately the state is able to prevail, what that means is, well, then you can always put him back in jail. Of course, the problem with that is he stands convicted of a brutal murder. And as a general rule, you're not going to release a somebody convicted of this type of offense back out on the street. But the Brendan Dassey case is, of course, different because of the making of the murderer stuff and all that. Um, Kim texts us from Milwaukee, keep his butt in jail. Sorry, I've been mad about this all weekend. I've been mad about this all weekend, too. I, and I, I understand there's a lot of people out there that say, oh, poor Brendan Dassey. Well, okay, in, in my opinion, in my opinion, there, there's two issues. First of all, the question is whether or not his confession was true. And then the second issue is whether or not the confession was illegally coerced. I don't think there is should be any reasonable question at all that this this man's confession was true, that he did what he said he did. It is consistent with the evidence. He had details that I understand. They're saying, well, there's some leading questions. Well, there's always leading questions. I start with the basic premise that his confession was true. Then... If you accept that, and I understand some people are unwilling to do it, if you accept that his confession is true, then you go to the second question, was was it illegally obtained? And that's, of course, the legal issue. But if you believe that the confession was true, that he acknowledged doing what he did, and that he did, in fact, do what he did, to release him from prison until the highest court in the land has had an opportunity to rule on this particular motion... I think would be the height of absurdity. It would be potentially putting people at, at risk, and it would be to do a huge injustice to the Hallback family. So I, here's my advice. I want this. I think the state should vigorously fight this, and I think even this panel, recognizing that it's kind of controversial, that the panel should continue to allow him to be held without bail pending the pursuit of appeals. Brendan Dassey should not be back on the street, at least in my opinion, unless and until the appeal process has been exhausted. Otherwise, well, it's a risk to the general public, and it is injustice, in my opinion, to the victim. It's 923. This is Jeff Wagner. Big story number three coming up. We'll wrap up our Supreme Court watch. Stick around. It's 925, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If women can wear dresses while on the clock, 
then why aren't shorts worn by men universally accepted in the workplace? There's a growing debate over that very question. Where do you come down? Discuss with Scafidi and Billstat at 1235 today. Okay, our big story number three that we have been following throughout the, the morning. Uh, this is the final day of the term of the Supreme Court. They're issuing decisions. They've, as I just talked about, they've issued a, what could be a landmark decision with regard to private schools being able to get public funding for, in this case, it was a playground, but I think it has wider application. The Supreme Court has also announced that it will take um, the Masterpiece Cake Shop case, and this was one of the series of cases that have been playing out over the course of a few years where you have the gay couples who are protected by a particular statute, like a public accommodation statute. They have one of those in Wisconsin. You can't discriminate against somebody based on sexual orientation. Same thing is true in Colorado. So this gay couple that goes into a, a cake shop um, and say, says, we, we, want, we want a wedding cake. And the owner of the shop says, I'm sorry, I just this is against my religion, and I'm not... I'm I'm not going to make you a wedding cake. I'll bake you cookies. You know, you here buy cookies, buy bread, you know, buy pastry. It's not that I'm not refusing it's not I'm not refusing to serve you, but I believe that same-sex marriages are wrong. It's what my religion teaches me, and so I refuse to do it. So the gay couple complains, and the Masterpiece Cake Shop, in this case in Colorado, goes through the Colorado court system, and it's found to have violated this public accommodation law, and it's fined all this money. Today, the Supreme Court said it's going to hear that case, and it's going to decide whether or not it believes that a deeply and for a private business your deeply held religious belief should trump this personal accommodation law um in addition we have some breaking news here um again i've been following the supreme court blog all, all morning as i've been geeking out on this um one of the remaining questions is the the trump travel ban as you will recall President Trump issued a, a travel ban blocking immigration from a handful of countries where I, I, th- the governments are really no more than regimes. Um, that ban was put in was help put on hold by a court of appeals in the East Coast, the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, and the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals on the West Coast. Um, I'm I'm just looking at again the the travel blog, the Supreme Court blog. Um, they say that the so far, the order is the Supreme Court is going to hear the case. So they have decided to accept the appeal. And the order I have is that the that they say that the stay, um, and this is the, the Trump administration asking for a stay of the court rulings that put the ban on hold, if, if that makes any sense. Uh, the stay is granted in part. Now, I don't know what in part means I have to kind of try to look at the case quick, but at least partially the the stay on the, the block on the travel ban appears to have been lifted. So I, I got to check that out, but it appears at least on the surface like this is a win for the administration. Supreme Court hearing the case and announcing that um, the orders of the lower court blocking the travel ban have been stayed 
in part. So try to get a little bit more of the details as to what stayed in part means. But um, at least on the surface, it appears, again, a win for the Trump administration moving forward. And it's only a temporary win because, again, they're going to hear the case um, in the fall, just like they're going to hear the case on the Masterpiece Cake Shop in in the fall. But um, Trump administration, at least off the top, it it appears like it is a victory, but we'll figure that out um, in just a couple minutes. All right. Coming up next, a lot of stuff, including ringless voicemails. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. The issue is um, back on the table, and it's something that from a consumer perspective, you should care about quite a bit. Anybody with a cell phone should be paying attention to our next discussion. Nine thirty four. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. The Senate has unveiled its version of the health care bill slated to replace the Affordable Care Act. What do Wisconsin Senators Ron Johnson and Tammy Baldwin think of it? John Mercure shares the latest at three ten on Wisconsin's afternoon news. Be sure to tune in. Okay, here's what uh, the, the Supreme Court ruling on the Trump travel ban means. All right, again, just to review the bidding quickly. After taking office, President Trump issued an executive order banning travel from various countries. These countries, um, and I use the term countries loosely, these these various countries have been known to support terrorism. In addition, the in some cases, the, the governments are nothing more than regimes. And the point of the travel ban was to say, all right, look, we're, we're going to put immigration on hold from these various countries while we we improve our vetting process to make sure that people who really shouldn't be coming into this country aren't coming into the country. Um, and what I thought, and then they issued a modified travel ban. It is the modified travel ban that is before the court right now. The appellate courts, both on the East and West Coast, issued rulings saying, we think this is discriminatory against Muslims. And as evidence, we're going to look at things that President Trump said when he was campaigning. And we're going to use these campaign statements as evidence of of intent um, and say that based on what he said in the campaign, we hold that these orders are discriminatory towards towards Muslims. Now, of course, that's a huge step because I don't know that there's a time in history that the courts have looked at what somebody says while they are running for office to use that to – I don't try to evaluate a, a race-neutral sort of policy because they didn't just ban Muslims. They banned anybody coming from these various countries. In addition, there's a whole lot of majority Muslim countries that weren't subject to the travel ban. Long story short, I thought this was a bad politically motivated decision by these various courts of appeals. This morning, the, the United States Supreme Court said that they would hear the case. So we're going to hear the case in October. And what they did was they said, all right, um, this is what we're going to do in the interim with this travel ban. They said the government can enforce the travel ban. In other words, they could stop people coming in from these six countries with regard to people who don't have a relationship to the United States. I mean, here's what the order specifically says. We grant the government's applications to stay the injunctions, blocking the implementation of the ban. 
the provision suspending entry from six countries with respect to foreign nationals who lack any bona fide relationship with a person or an entity in the United States. So that if if you have a relationship, whatever that means, with somebody in the United States, I mean, presumably, I, I don't know, maybe you're a spouse or something like that, you can continue to travel from this country. But if you have, you know, no no relationship with a person or an entity in the United States, um, you're, you're going to be blocked from coming in for the time being. So that that's how they've handled that, and that's going to be the state of the law until the Supreme Court issues another ruling. I, I think it's a victory for the administration, maybe not a complete victory, but certainly a victory for the administration, and we'll see where the Supreme Court rules. You should have a ruling sometime in the next year. All right, let us switch gears. Ringless voicemails. Under the law, it is illegal to um, to call to telemarket on cell phones. You might not know that because there's a lot of telemarketers who do telemarket on cell phones with no consequences at all. But it, it's it's against the law to to do that. Um, there's a way that telemarketers are trying to get around that, and that is what's called ringless voicemails. You know, I don't know how your cell phone works, but if somebody calls me up and I'm on the phone, well, then it goes directly into voicemail. If I'm busy and I don't get a chance to answer the phone after however many rings, it goes into voicemail. All right, that, that's it. There is this technology that now exists which allows telemarketers to go directly into your voicemail. Your phone never rings. So you don't have a chance to answer it or not. It's just when you look at your phone, you're going to see that you have a voicemail. And then, you know, when you pull it up, you're going to see where the, you're going to see an area code where the voicemail is from. And then presumably you're going to listen to it because you're, you're going to want to see who this is from. These are what's known as ringless voicemails. Um, they estimate, their estimate is that in May alone, May of this year, there were 2.6 billion billion robocalls were placed via this ringless voicemail nationwide 2.6 billion new york city area codes were big targets including nearly 29 million robocalls with the 917 area what they also do that that's even more insidious and we talked about this last week is there's there's this thing called neighborhood spoofing where they they just the robocalls take imaginary numbers but what they're able to do is they're able to get the three digits from your area code and the first three digits from your exchange so let's say let's say you your you know your your number is 414351 and then four digits when you see the number that comes up on on the the voicemail it'll be 414351 and there'll be four other numbers but you look at that and you say oh this is this is a local call this is from somebody you know in my area this is probably a local business i don't recognize this but maybe this is the dry cleaner calling me or whatever to tell me my clothes are ready it, it's called neighborhood spoofing and you can do that so anyhow what's happened is 2.6 billion robocalls uh, placed in the, this, these ringless voicemails. So when, again, you, you don't have a chance to answer them, they're just there. And, of course, this is a very, very popular thing for the robocallers because chances are you're, you're going to listen to the voicemail. Oh, gosh, I've got this voicemail here. So now um, 
New York Democrat Chuck Schumer, of all people, calling on the Federal Communications Commission to block this this technology and to say, look, these voiceless, these ringless voicemails, these are the same as regular calls. Actually, they're even more insidious, and we should treat these as calls for do not call list purposes. Um, the telemarketing associations are saying, well, no, 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 um, you know, voicemail is different. Voicemail is, is different than robocalls. And, you know, we we shouldn't be blocked from doing this. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I actually think being able to leave voicemails, telemarketers being able to leave voicemails, is even worse in many respects than, you know, the, the phone just ringing um, and making the calls. And if we're going to regulate telemarketers calling your cell phone, I think we certainly should be regulating telemarketers calling your cell phone and leaving voicemails. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Are you with me on this particular one? Do we need to block these ringless voicemails? I cannot imagine anything that would be more aggravating than, for example, to get off the air this morning, go back and, and see that. I, I turn on my cell phone or I check my cell phone and see that I've got eight or nine or ten, you know, voicemails from telemarketers because I'm not going to necessarily even identify them. I'm going to have to listen to them. I think this is something that desperately needs to be regulated, and it would aggravate the you-know-what out of me to have to go through these. 414-799-1620 is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 943. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 947, Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. All right. Well, in May alone, May alone, there were 2.9 billion robocalls placed nationwide. And the latest technique with these these calls is what's called ringless voicemail. So you've got your cell phone. It doesn't even ring. You don't know that there's been a call player there until you check it. and You say, I've got voicemail. So you go, you... You open up the voicemail. You think, okay, maybe it's, I don't know, I don't recognize the number, but who knows. Well, it turns out to be a, a robocall and a recorded message. In some cases, if you call back, they turn out to be scams. Um, right now, the FCC is looking at blocking these. I think that they should. Let's start with Walter in Kenosha. Walter, you're first. Good morning. Yes, Jeff. How are you today? Very well, thank you, sir. Do we need to do something about these? Well, I'll tell you what, we need to do something about these as well as um, other types of robocalls. Um, I'm a business owner in Kenosha, and I get no less than four and sometimes up to eight or ten calls a day from Google saying that, oh, we need to upgrade your listing. And what it is is they'll call from um, one area code, and I push the nine to be taken off the list, Ten minutes later, I get another one from, right. you know, a different area code, and this happens repeatedly. Um, eventually, it ends up with a 262 area code. Right. And after that, ten minutes later, I get these emails and voicemails, um, or I'm sorry, not emails, but texts and voicemails from Google with the same thing, but they never ring. Right. Google's already using all this information, and I am irritated. I've called the FCC, and the response I've got from the FCC is that they're finding Google, but it doesn't seem to be affecting them. 
Um, yeah, and that thanks, and that and that's I mean that's part of the problem. Now again, when when it comes to the do not call list, a lot of times now I don't know Walter if you do business with Google. A lot of times, the, the telemarketing you get you have agreed to, like when you take out a credit card, you read the small print, and the small print and like page six of the credit card application says the credit card company you give them the right to call you with new products and stuff like that. So I mean I, I don't know if that's the situation, but you know there, there's more of these unsolicited calls. All these. All these these people that do these robocalls are taking the position that these these robocalls, the ringless robocalls, aren't phone calls. They are something different. And the FCC doesn't have the authority to regulate them, and Congress never um, intended to regulate them. So, boom, you know, they feel that they can go in. Well, I don't know about you, but, again, like I say, seeing that I have voicemails, that's even more annoying than the phone ringing because you can try to block the numbers or you can at least just ignore it. The voicemails, you don't know what it is, and it's tough to delete just a voicemail automatically. Let's talk to um, Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, I think it's. I think like you like you're saying with business and that you're worried about getting calls, returning calls, and voicemails, and then you open your voicemail up and you got this on there. I right. Mean, I you know, uh, Jeff, do you remember when we when they used to allow television commercials to be broadcast at a louder volume? Yeah. Do you remember how? Do you remember how annoying that was? Right. You think to yourself, this is just common sense that. that just doesn't make sense and then finally they changed the law and everybody was like thank you right well you know i I would tell you though mark i mean some people would say that that what they do these these ringless voicemails are really no different than um you know junk mail that you know you 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 know like junk mail i don't know about you but you know i i get a ton of junk mail and i don't even open it it goes right from the mailbox into my hand into the trash can so the argument some people would say this is no different than, than junk mail I think it is because junk mail, you know what it is, and you can make the decision to throw it out or not. Voicemail, you're going to have to you're going to have to access it to figure out that it's junk mail. Right. Yeah. No. Exactly. Right. No. Thanks for calling. No, I mean, I see. I don't buy that idea a- at all. Like I say, you know, if I get an envelope and the envelope is from like some, I don't know, the return address or. Um, well, candidly, unless I'm expecting a credit card or something, if there's not a return address, I, I'm not sure they open it. But sometimes I, I do open it just to make sure that it's junk mail. A lot of times, though, you can tell where it's from. You just throw it out. Um, the, the voicemail, it's not going to be easy to tell that it is, in fact, junk mail unless you have to access it. Now, I, I think I think these, these ringless voicemails, I think they're as annoying as junk mail, but I think they're different as well. Jerry in Bayview. Jerry, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, good morning. I get easily four to six of these calls a day that go right to my voicemail, really? but there's never there's never a message. But sometimes they'll take up to 60 seconds to a minute of the voicemail. But the problem is is that I could be driving, and it says I have a voicemail, and I think it might be family. Yeah. But what, what happens is that the last four numbers are always different. The first seven numbers show my area code, yep. and then my first three numbers are four numbers. But anyway, make a long story short, the last four numbers always change. Never a message, but that'll take a sixty minutes to, you know, a yep, minute or, sixty or seconds, yeah. And and then I'll I'll be out getting a you know like a noise off my phone saying you got voicemail. Right. I'm thinking, family or whatever on this sort of call, but no, it's nothing. Yeah, no, exactly. No, right, and and, but of course you have to stop or you pull over the road, and and again, this is what's happening to you is what they call neighborhood spoofing, which once again, it's where, look, 
if I if I get a call, I don't know anybody in Anchorage, Alaska. So if I get a call and it's showing up, it's coming out of Anchorage, Alaska, it's getting blocked. Now, maybe I'm maybe I'm missing some important call, but that it's getting blocked. I'm not answering that. But on the other hand, you know, when you get one again, the area code using the example I was using earlier, 414-351. So you assume, hey, that's if that's if you live in the 35, you know, 414 and your exchange is 351, you look at this and you say, "Hey, this is this neighborhood call. I don't remember it, but you know, I I don't have it listed. I don't know. This could be my next-door neighbor that's calling me. I don't know what their phone number is or this could be, you know, the local whatever. This could be the school. I don't know." So you're inclined, you're much more inclined to take it. And it sounds like you've been neighbor that's what they call neighborhood spoofing. Yes, this is something the government should regulate. Dennis and Franklin. Dennis, good morning. You're on 620 BTMJ. Hi, hi, Jeff. Hi, Dennis. Uh, well, my comment is, you know, a, a telephone call is a telephone call. Yep. The fact is they're using a telephone to make that call. They're using a telephone service to record that call on, vo- on voicemail. It's a telephone call. I agree. Uh, there isn't anybody who would say, except uh, per- perhaps the industry who's using it, <laughs> that it's not a telephone call. As they used to say, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, it's, it's a duck. A duck. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. It's different. I mean, it is different than mail. It is much more intrusive, you know, and, and I have, you know, it is kind of scary. I have a note. Somebody makes a point on the text line, Dennis, that, you know, what happens when people start? What happens when somebody starts putting viruses in these things so that when you, you know, you access this you know, through your cell phone or whatever, um, or if you access it through your computer, like a lot of people do, you know, at their home, you got the voicemail, you, you log yeah. on, you do it. What happens when they start putting viruses or ransomware in this stuff? I mean, can yeah. you imagine? And, and Jeff, I was just going to say uh, on the neighborhood spoofing, one of the things that's really in, insidious about that, and I've been getting those too, is that you can block a number. Uh, so you get the number, it's the area code, it's what uh, mine right. happens to come up as 488, and then it's a different four numbers. You block the, that call, two minutes later you get another call from another, right. last four digits are different, you block that call. I am now up to in the neighborhood of 20 calls that I've uh, blocked right. and I still am getting those. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and it's, thanks, I mean, it's just, yeah, I, and I, I go back to your basic premise too, Dennis, and, and you're right. I mean, if, if, to me, if you are soliciting somebody over the phone, whether you know it's a typical like call by a telemarketer, um, a robocall, or it's one of these calls that is the ringless voicemail, a phone call is a phone call is a phone call, and it should be regulated. No question about it. It's nine fifty six. This is Jeff Wagner. Ten oh nine. This is Jeff Wagner. So Jane, if John McCure was listening to your news report, you know we're we're, we're going to lose him for a week or two. I mean he's going to be absolutely. He's going to be absolutely no good because he's going to be focused on something. If he was listening to your news, the Saturday Night Fever dance oh, floor going on sale. I'm trying to think, good heavens, what did I say? Oh no, no, no! I mean, it's that you know, McCure is a huge fan of Saturday Night Fever. Oh, absolutely! I did not know that. A- absolutely. I mean, and the chance what what they think it's going to get one to one and a half million yeah, dollars? Yeah, it could get like one point five. Oh, I tell you. I mean, right, that's it. The next time they have a party at his house, I mean, I, I could see him, you know, doing that, you know, putting that floor, that, that dance floor in his basement and stuff. Sure. We could show up, you know, you, you could kind of poof your hair out and I could buy one of those white suits and stuff, you know. I want I want my bangs to stand straight up. <laughs> I miss those days. Yeah, yeah, we all do. <laughs> the leisure suit days, yes. yes. We, the white leisure suit days. I actually, Looks I, so good on everyone. Yeah, I, 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 have these, I have these pictures of myself back in that day. And the only 
my only defense is we all looked that way. <laughs> you know, we we all looked that way in 1970, whatever it was. That's so, right. Um, it was just a bad era for close. It, it was, <laughs> but no, no, no. So I mean, if John McCure is on vacation for a couple of days, it's because he's trekking out to Los Angeles to like inspect the floor and and get a bidding thing going there. So we'll now now we know. Just just saying. See these little tidbits that you learn about that you learn about some of the people, the voices that you hear. All right. This is called, the segment is called the Ivanka Entitlement. Now, I understand that maybe, maybe if you're one of these people who, you know, is, is on the, is on the left, you're going, oh, that Ivanka, you know, Ivanka Trump, oh, how, how terrible. No, be careful because this is actually the, the flip side of this. I, Ivanka Trump, I think, clearly has her father's ear. And there are many, many policy decisions that President Trump have, has made that I think clearly are things that make conservatives or should make conservatives happy. And then there's what is being called the Ivanka entitlement. Um, now, I work, I, at the company I work for, I know that there is some form of parental leave. I don't know, I've, I honestly, I've never explored what it is because as somebody who doesn't have children and isn't going to have children, it's never, it, it's never been something that comes into play. But, but I know that there is somewhat of a leave policy. Now, in this country, there's this act. It's called the Family um, Medical Leave Act, FMLA. And what it says is that you are, as an employee, every employee, as long as the company is of a certain size, every employee is entitled to unpaid family leave. So you can, if you decide that you want to, you know, stay at home, your, your wife has had a baby or you've had a baby and you want to stay at home for X number of weeks with the baby, you're entitled to do that. Many companies have paid leave policies. Um, and, and it's, you know, some of them are, I think, you know, quite generous. Some of them apply to not just maternity leave, but also paternity leave. So, you know, there's some cases where there's companies that say, hey, you know, you, you have a baby or you adopt a child and you can have up to 12 weeks of paid leave off. That That is a nice thing. Matter of fact, I think there's one ca- there's one company that says, hey, we, we did 12 weeks off and it worked so well and, employ- and the morale was so good, we decided to expand it to 16 weeks of paid maternity or paternity leave. And I just want to say at the outset, I, I think that's great. If an individual company decides that it wants to give you paid maternity or paternity leave and that for whatever reasons they think it's important it, maybe it helps office morale. It helps retain employees. It um, again makes uh, the happier. Maybe it makes it easier to attract employees. Whatever. I, I think a private company should have every right to do that if they choose to. But the Ivanka entitlement is something different. Buried in the budget that was submitted to Congress, President Trump would require states to provide six weeks of paid family leave for all new mothers and fathers, as well as adoptive parents. States would have the broad latitude to design and finance the benefit, which would be delivered through unemployment insurance. So, I mean, the idea would be right now the states pay into the businesses pay into, you know, an unemployment compensation fund. And that's how, so if you're unemployed, if you lose your job, you just, you know, go into that fund. 
this would be, again, the same sort of thing funded by employer payments and to a lesser extent, maybe some individual employee payments. But it goes into this fund. And then anybody who you know has a kid or adopts a kid, you would be entitled to this. Um, again, the states would you know have the authority to make certain rules, including you know what happens if you're a beneficiary, you're on leave. Um, does that mean you should be able to work at all during the ban? The program they estimate would cost twenty five billion dollars a year 25 billion um democrats are already upset with this not because they don't like the idea of paid family leave but they don't think it goes far enough hillary clinton for example promised 12 weeks of paid leave and also said that she thinks the benefit should be applied to caring for elderly parents or other family events all right, 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I understand that this this is, with all entitlement, as with all entitlement programs, this this sounds great. Hey, that's, I, wouldn't it be nice, I, boy, you know, I remember when, when you know, I, I had my kid, it would have been great if I could have stayed home for six weeks and been paid to do it. I mean, I, I understand the appeal of that. And if a company wants to offer you that as a benefit, I think it's a great thing. But should the government mandate that all companies, again, I think the proposal is companies with more than 50 employees, but should the company mandate that, should the government mandate that here's what we're going to do if you have over a certain size employees, all your employees should automatically get this. 414-799-1620. It's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is what's called as the Invanka Entitlement. I think paid leave is great. I think it, if it's important to you, you should find an employer that offers it if it's that big a deal. But I don't think the government has any business mandating this, and I think this is bad public policy. 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1016. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1019. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The big gig kicks off Wednesday. Summerfest is here. From Bob Hope to Bruno Mars, from McCartney to Metallica, Summerfest has had more than its fair share of top-flight talent. Check out our gallery of 50 headliners in 50 years. It is up now in the Summerfest section at WTMJ.com. All right, tucked in the Trump budget is what is being called the Ivanka Entitlement. It would mandate, mandate that all employers over a certain size, essentially, you know, unless you're the very smallest type of employer, you would have to offer your employees, male and female, six weeks of paid maternity or paternity um, leave. So it's not just the federal, uh, the FMLA, uh, Family Medical Leave Act, which says that you can you can take time off without pay. This would be something that you would have that you would have to pay for, and as we've seen with Obamacare. Once you have an entitlement, it then becomes impossible to do away with this entitlement, and probably the only thing that's going to happen is that this would be expanded. I appreciate that this is great. I, I understand that for fathers, new fathers, hey, this is absolutely outstanding. You know, you can stay at home, you can bond, you can help out around the house, you can bond with your baby, and, and you don't have to face financial pressures. I understand why that has an appeal. Same thing, obviously, true with mothers. 
I don't think, though, that we should be doing unfunded mandates, and that's what it would be. This is $25 billion. That is going to have to be paid for by employers and to perhaps a lesser extent by the employees. It's going to be paid for by the general public in the form of higher prices. And I I just don't think this is one of those things where I, I do not believe that the right to free paternity leave, for example, is is something that is a constitutionally protected guarantee. You know, it is a nice benefit. No question about it. And that's absolutely outstanding. And if this is something that is important to you, go work for a company that has it. Find a job with a company that has it. But that's a free market decision. The companies make the decision as to what sort of benefits should they have to offer. Do you need to offer this to attract and retain quality employees? Is this a benefit that your employees even care about? I mean, for example, let's say you have a workforce that is largely made up by, I don't know, people for whom they're never going to take advantage of this benefit, or candidly, the benefit is not important. Well, all right, all right, they're going to end up having to pay, you know, for this. Um, They're going to have, because it is going to be a mandate. So you might have some company, got 50 employees, and the majority of these employees are women who are, for example, out of their childbearing years, who could care less about this, and frankly, would rather have other benefits. So now what's going to happen is you're going to have an employer that's going to have to pay this. They're going to have to pay into it. So other benefits that the employees might actually like and use, they're not going to have access to. That's why a government-wide mandate for this is just an absolutely, you know, terrible you know, terrible idea. And that's uh, Jay and Grafton makes the point on our text list. You know, if this does pass, um, you know, um, would it result, what would be the benefit for older workers who are past their childbearing years? The answer is none. I mean, none it, 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 at all. This is a benefit. It is a wonderful benefit, but it is not something that should be mandated. Um, it's tucked into a bill. The Democrats love it. Hopefully the Republicans are going to end up killing this. But if you hear people talking about the Ivanka entitlement, that's what this is. It is a bad, 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 bad idea. Coming up next, to tip or not to tip. Stick around. It's 1023. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 9, 9, 1025, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Major League Baseball's All-Star Game is fast approaching. Wow. And the first place Brewers seem poised to put multiple names on the National League roster. Who's a lock and who needs help? Greg Matzik goes through the names during Sports Central. Greg is doing a great job. Tune in 7.15 this evening um, on 620 WTMJ. Our text line just exploding on the whole um, concept of um, mandatory paternity or maternity leave. You know, Sam makes a really interesting point. If we want big companies to bring jobs back to the U.S., how does this help? Mexico, China, and India don't have this mandate. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's the reality of this. Tom in West Bend says, what happened to the responsible planning for having children? The financial responsibilities that go along with having children fall on the parents. If you absolutely cannot afford to miss a few weeks of work due to child care, then maybe you should hold off on having kids until you can afford the responsibilities of parenthood. The whole entitlement mentality is getting carried away. Well, there is no free lunch. 
I mean, $25 billion, and that is going to be paid for by employers, which means it's going to be paid for by employees, which is going to mean it's going to be paid for by all the rest of us as well. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, tread carefully. All right. This is one of the uh, topics I promote over the course of of the weekend. Um, One of the most controversial aspects of the service industry now is, is tipping. Um, there are several restaurants who, across the country, with various degrees of success, have gone to the, the no-tipping model. What they say, you know, there, there's been a couple prominent restaurateurs who have said, okay, here's, here's what we're going to do, no tipping. But what we're going to do instead is we are going to increase our prices. We want to pay our employees a living wage, so um, we are going to increase our prices. You're going to be paying more for the service. You're going to be paying more for the stuff you order, but don't tip because we're, you know, that's now built in, this kind of like no tipping thing. Um, some servers, for example, in the restaurant industry like it. Others don't. Matter of fact, I think if you took a poll, most of them would say no, that, that they'd rather they'd rather have the tips because, again, depending on the nature of where you work, you know, if you're doing a really good job, you can make a lot more money, say, by, you know, getting the tips if you're doing a really good job than you could if you were just a straight salaried worker. Then there's all sorts of people that argue that, for example, in the restaurant industry, by giving tips that inspires, that motivates people to do an extra job. You know, you're, again, you're, you're doing that tipping. That's an, that is an ongoing battle as people try to decide where we're going moving forward. Well, one of the areas where it's really now coming home to roost is in connection with Uber, the the nation's largest ride-sharing program. Uh, Historically, if you hail a cab, you you would generally be expected to leave leave a tip. You know, if you're taking a cab, you you pay what's on the meter, but then you also, you know, pay for the tip. Uber has always had its model. The model up until, for example, last week has been – no tipping. The the Uber model has been we're offering you certainty. You know, if you're going to, you know, make arrangements for the vehicle, the Uber vehicle, you know what you're paying up front. Now it might be that you're you know, depending on what time, whether it's surge pricing or something, but but you know you're gonna play a, you're gonna pay a fat flat fee. All right, if you need to go from one place to the other, it's gonna cost you twenty bucks. Boom. And then the Uber driver gets it and built into the twenty bucks that you're paying is the Uber driver's salary. A number of Uber drivers have been saying, no, you know, we don't we don't like this. We we want to be able to be tipped. We think it might increase our, our profits. And of course, some others are saying, well, if you let us be tipped, does that mean that Uber is then going to reduce what they're paying us for each ride? So that's a question. But the other question is, from the perspective of the customer, one of the things that has always been appealing about Uber is it's a fixed cost. You, you don't have to worry about putting in a tip. You know what it is going to cost, and there's no there's no question, there's no variation. Boom, it is this flat fee. Uber has now, I mean, starting last week, Uber has now decided to allow tipping um, for its drivers. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, I know... There's lots and lots of Uber users. Um, other ride-sharing um, operations have always allowed tipping, but that has never been the Uber model. So if you are an Uber user, 
are you happy with the decision to now allow drivers to be tipped? Or is this going to be something that actually might change the model and might change the way you use the business? I've got some theories on this that I will share, but I want to hear your opinion as well. So for those of you who are regular Uber drivers, Uber users, all right, how do you feel about them abandoning the no-tipping policy? We discuss next. It's 1036, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. One of the keys to the Uber ride-sharing business model has been no tipping. You just you you call for the Uber ride. You've got your app on the phone. It tells you how much the ride is going to be. You pay for it in advance. No cash changes hands. Boom, it, it's all done. Uber has now announced that they're going to change that policy for the first time, and they're going to allow tipping. Now, it's sort of up in the air because a number of Uber drivers are concerned with what what does that mean? Does that mean if you're going to now allow tipping, are are our are they going to, is Uber going to reduce what they end up paying us, um, which I think a lot of them think is going to happen? I think one of the appeals of Uber has always been it's just there is this definitive thing. You know what you pay. All right. Well, this changed the business model. Ray, who's calling us from Illinois. Ray, good morning. You're at 620. Good good morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay. Is this a good move for Uber? This is an excellent move. Um, I believe, first of all, you're a little incorrect on how Uber works. You don't actually pay in advance. Uh, You're not charged until the ride ends. So if you you make a stop along the way or something, it's like a cab a little bit. Your meter continues to run it's a little cheaper um i use lyft down here also and i i like the fact that if i if i choose to i can tip um i'm blind and being a lot of times i ask the driver to do a little extra Mm -hmm. for me like for example look for me because i can't see him or to uh, walk me to the door someplace i'd I'd like to be able to give them a little extra for that Mm -hmm. and i think doing it within the app where i don't have to mess with cash or anything i think it's an excellent idea from the perspective of the drivers, do you think they're going to come out ahead or ultimately behind on this if Uber I, decides, hey, right now part of your compensation is based on the fact that we don't allow tips, so now we're going to allow, we're going to allow you to be tipped, but we're going to also reduce your compensation to account for that? I think that um, I think the drivers are going to come out. I think they're going to come out about even or maybe even a little bit ahead. First of all, you could always tip an Uber driver. You just do it in cash. Right. Um, but um, I think I don't think a lot of people did, and because you know now you can do it within the app, uh, I think they're going to come out even or maybe even just a little bit ahead because people do like to uh, express appreciation for good service, and I think they will. Good enough. Thanks to call, Ray. I appreciate it. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and I... I, I appreciate what Ray just said, that people like to you know reward good service. At the same time, I think there's also this appeal. I think lots of people, and I think this has been one of the appeals of Uber, has been the idea that you have essentially this, this certainty, that you know, hey, if, if the Uber driver is going to pick you up and you're at this restaurant and you want to go back to your hotel in Las Vegas, it's going to be a $20 charge. That That's part of the appeal of, of Uber, that you don't have to worry about, gee, I'm new to this town, is the cabbie taken me on the indirect route to run up the fares, you know, what's those deals? That that certainty is an appeal. And even though this isn't mandatory, I think it moves it a little bit away from that certainty. Jeff in Wauwatosa. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. I don't have a problem with it. I've done it a few times when the driver would have trouble finding my place of residence. Mm-hmm. But 
if he or she is going to be expecting a tip, then they're going to need to carry change because if I only have 20s, I'm not giving them a $20 tip. Would you use the app to tip it, though? I think that's what Uber is doing. They're now modifying the app to allow for tipping as well. Yeah, I, I probably would if I – but um, I, I would be careful because – it should be simple. It shouldn't be something that's right. really complicated. Yeah, right. You got you got to make it easy. See, I, I you know, this is, I, I think this is really one of the things that fascinates me, is is how, and I just don't know enough about the rideshare slash cab industry to know how this is all going to work out. When we have talked about no tipping policies in the past, you know, typically you think about it for for restaurants, and almost to a person. Um, the people who have called in, who are, are servers working in the hospitality industry, they have all said that they would much rather, as I was mentioning earlier, they would much rather work on in a system where it's lower base salary, but you have the potential for tips. And the idea being, hey, if, if you're good, you know, you're going to get tips. But there is that degree of uncertainty. But I think, you know, when it comes to the restaurant industry, for example, I think there is an expectation that people are going to tip. And I understand that everybody who's been a server probably has some horror story about how, you know, they got, you know, the, the, the tip wasn't sufficient. And I'm, I'm sure that kind of comes with the territory. But, you know, in general, everyone I've talked to would much rather say, okay, give us the lower base salary, let us work on tips. I don't know that that necessarily plays out the same way when it comes to cabs. And so I think, candidly, if Uber, and, and the truth is I'm pretty sure this is what they're going to do, if Uber ends up reducing base pay and saying, all right, we're, we're paying you less, but you've got the potential to make more because now we're going to allow you to and encourage you to get tips, I, I don't know whether in the cab industry that that's ultimately going to work, be worth it or not. I don't know whether the cab drivers are going to ultimately come out ahead. I do think Uber needs to be careful because there is – one of the advantages of this has been the certainty. And when you get away from the whole concept of certainty – um, you do start to change the business model around a little. So um, Uber's done this because they want to create they're, – they're responding to Lyft, and Uber's had all sorts of other problems as well. They're responding to Lyft. They want to create this image of being much more you know, family-friendly and things like that and worker-friendly. My only advice would be to the people who drive for Uber – be careful what you wish for because you may get it and you might not necessarily like it. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, Ron Johnson is absolutely 100% correct. It's 1045, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. The WTMJ Classic Free Ride makes one final pit stop before it pulls into Summerfest, and that is today in Waukesha. Join John McCurin, Wisconsin's Afternoon News, as they broadcast live from 3 to 6 at Swimming Pool Services. Hmm. Register to win the 1968 Valenti Oldsmobile 442 Convertible and tickets to see the Red Hot Chili Preppers perform at the big gig. That is today from 3 until 6 at Swimming Pool Services on Jericho Court in Waukesha. It's the WTMJ Classic Free Ride, sponsored by New Mail Medical in Tosa and Summerfest. Right, and then, of course, we're going to be giving away the vehicle on the final day of Summerfest. Um, how cool is that? Just absolutely how cool is that? And it's a tremendous vehicle, and you know, thanks to everybody who's been participating during the course of the summer. 
All right. Ron Johnson is 110% correct. One of the things that many things that has dogged Obamacare over the years was the infamous Nancy Pelosi quotation. And I know there's some people who say it was taken out of context, but where, where she said, we have to pass the bill to know what's in it. And that that's sort of been one of the things I think that has haunted Obamacare over the years, what exactly was in it. And there's been a lot of surprises that turned out to be very, well, very, very bad. And, and I think we, we recognize, at least any reasonable person should recognize, that Obamacare as it currently exists is simply unsustainable. The costs are going through the roof. More and more insurers are bailing out of the various Obamacare markets. And the, the only way to save it is essentially to have massive additional infusions of taxpayer cash to make up for the insurer losses. And that's just that, that's not a sustainable sort of, of system. So th- there needs to be changes. I think we all agree that there needs to be changes. At the same time, the Republicans have one chance and one chance alone to get it right. And the problem, as we've talked about a lot on this program, is once you have an entitlement that goes into effect, once there's an entitlement program, it is all, it's in the history of this country, once an entitlement has been put in effect, it's never been walked back. Because then you get like the myriad of stories that we've been getting over the last few months about, oh, let, let's, let's find this person or let's find that person. And, you know, if you change Obamacare, well, this is, this person's going to lose out on this and isn't that going to be horrible? And then you're going to have millions of people who are uninsured. Well, it, not really. The people who are going to be uninsured are people who are going to be uninsured by, by choice because, again, this will return it more to a free market type of thing. And rather than mandating insurance, the Republican plan would encourage people to get insurance, and the penalty would be, hey, if you get sick and you need to come onto the government plan, well, then there's going to be added costs that are built in. But, yes, it's true that there would probably be more and more people who, exercising freedom of choice, decided to you know opt out of the program. So that's true to an extent. But, I mean, it is... At least last time I checked, it was, in fact, a free uh, country. In addition, one of the things that you would see under the Senate bill is you would go back more towards the system where you could pick and choose the different insurance plans that suited your needs. So maybe you were in a situation where you wanted a high-deductible plan. Okay, fine, you could get that. Maybe you're in a situation where there was all sorts of coverage that you, you didn't care about, that you didn't want. Uh, again, if you're... You're past. You're, you're 59 years old, right? You you don't need maternity coverage, for example. So, all right, you could say, okay, I, I, we're we're not having any more kids. We're 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 not going to pay for coverage that we are not going to use. Well, under Obamacare, you can't do that. It's kind of one size fits all. And what ends up happening is you have people that are paying for all sorts of coverages that they will never use. The coverage that's being offered across the board is what's driving up costs. It's just it, it's just an unsustainable mess. So you, you need to figure out how to get it right, and I'm 110% behind it. At the same time, you don't want to rush into something. And, and I, I'm not saying that this is something that needs to be debated for years. Because like I say, right now you've got a, a rare opportunity to try to do it and get it right. At the same time, you have a Senate bill that comes out at the end of the week last week. 
I'm not sure that even the authors know everything that's in it and what the impact is. And I will tell you, there's all sorts of things that are getting people's attention. You know, the latest thing is what what by if you allow cuts to Medicaid, and Medicaid, by the way, is another unsustainable program. Medicaid expenses are going through the roof. Something needs to be done to rein in the amount of money that we're paying on Medicaid. But um, for, you know, they, they estimate that Medicare spending is projected to grow 6% a year on average. Can I see a show of hands? Uh, how, how many people have had raises six, averaging 6% a year? Um, you know, saying, oh, let's say, over the next X number of years. Um, they estimate that Medicare coverage, Medicare spend, Medicaid coverage, Medicaid is projected to grow 6% a year on average, rising to $650 billion 10 years from now from almost $400 billion this year. And these are Bs and billions. We're talking about big amounts of money. So I, I think it's un- no question. You have to rein in and figure out a way to rein in this unsustainable amount of Medicaid coverage. But when you're talking about Medicaid, it's something that you want to make sure you understand and that everybody understands what the effects are going to be. Um, the people that run nursing homes are, are, are screaming about this right now, saying, hey, if, if you cut back on Medicaid payments, it's going to have a devastating impact on, on Medicaid. And the, the, the truth of the matter is... There's a lot of people who have just outlived their money, and now they're in nursing homes, and the government through Medicaid is paying for them. Um, one of the things that could happen under the Senate bill, theoretically, is that states could decide how much to pay facilities. States could decrease the amount they're willing to pay. And what that could mean is that it would be harder for people to get into nursing homes or families would have to pay greater shares. There's all these different questions as to how this stuff would work. And it might be that in an effort to rein in Medicaid spending, you need to do something like that. Just using my nursing home situation as an example. might be that you need to do that. And nobody likes to hear that. But it it might be that that's the way we're going to go because you, you can't have this type of growth in spending. It is going to cripple the economy if that is allowed to happen. But at the same time, we, we should at least be having that debate that's out there. Yes, we're going to allow cutbacks in Medicaid. Yes, it means for some um, services are going to be more expensive or maybe the services are even going to be denied, but, but we can't afford it. And that's a fair conversation to have, but you at least have that discussion. And I think... Um, I think Senator Johnson is absolutely and totally correct, saying there is no reason to rush this particular vote. You know, it, uh, there's talk right now about trying to get it done before the Senate recesses for the Fourth of July. There's nothing that's magic about this. There's no, you know, th- we just have this debate. And I understand I'm getting calls. So they're, they're cutting off poor people. Well, it, yes and no. Here, here's the bottom line. That what we're doing now is unsustainable. There's just there's not enough money to pay for what we are doing now unless we are going to have massive infusions of cash. And explain to me, all right, are the taxpayers willing to do that? And I think the answer is no. You've got to come up with a better way of dealing with this. I don't know whether the Senate bill is that better way or not, but the problem is nobody really does. So to rush a vote, I, I think would be a mistake. Look at what's in the bill, debate this, figure out what the impact of this is going to be, and then, you know, make your decision. Ron Johnson, absolutely, 100% correct. 
It's 1057, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. <clears throat> Let's see. Um, if women can wear dresses while on the clock, why sure aren't shorts worn by men universally accepted in the workplace? Huh. There's a growing debate over that very question. Where do you come down? Discuss with Scafidi and Bill Stett, 1235 today. Hey, coming up in just a couple minutes, we're going to kind of lighten up the conversation, the 11 o'clock hour. We're going to be talking about things like Pokemon Go and bumper stickers and drive-in movies. And watch out. Here come the Asian carp. Actually, this is a big story. The um, Asian carp. Once Asian carp get into an ecosystem they destroy everything. I mean, they're Hondo, who's producing the show today and always. You ever seen pictures of these Asian carp? They are nasty-looking things. Yes. Um, you, you don't. I guess some people eat them, but, you know, see, yuck. Yeah, exactly. Right. Some, so, you're right. Some, some people eat them, but not too many people. But what happens is once these Asian carp get into an ecosystem, they eat everything. They take it over. And there's been a concerted effort to try to keep Asian carp out of out of the Lake Michigan waters. Um, well, they have this they have this electric barrier that's up in in Chicago, which is trying to stop these things from getting into you know the, the Great Lakes. The problem is that this electric barrier um, doesn't work. It's got a history of power outages, and it doesn't operate at a strength high enough to repel small fish. So what's happening is these carp are, are able to get through. Um, they're apparently on the move towards Lake Michigan. They pulled a single live Asian carp out of the Chicago Canal on Thursday above the electric barrier system that was operated by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Now, this should be a bipartisan issue. Tammy Baldwin, Ron Johnson, everybody, I think, appropriately upset about this. This is one where the Trump administration really hasn't committed to doing what you need to really do to keep these things out of, for example, Lake Michigan. Big, 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 big deal. And uh, this is one where there should be some bipartisan support. Stop the Asian carp. It's 1109, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So, Colleen. Would you ever put a bumper sticker on your car? I might. It depends on what it said, I think. <laughs> okay. Would I you, might. Would you put a political bumper sticker on your car? No. Okay. Like a, I, I visit, I love the Wisconsin Dells, like something like something that. Something like that, and I'd rather it be a magnet than a sticker. Well, yes. No, no, there, there's, that, that, I, I bring this up because my, my late wife, and our, there's no secret, our politics were different. <laughs> she, she had an Obama sticker on, 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 on her car. And the deal, but I, I would, of course, drive her car from time to time. Mm-hmm. And so our deal was that um, it had to be one of those magnetic things. So, uh, honest to goodness, so if, if I had to, if I was driving the car, I would take the, I would take the thing <laughs> off, and then you know she would put it back on when she drove it. That was the deal because I was saying I'm, I'm not going to be driving around in a car. I'm not going to be driving around a car that's the Obama, Obama sticker. But at least that was our accommodation that it was one of those metallic sort of you know it was a, it was a magnetic sticker so you could take it on and off yeah and they don't mess up your bumper they don't mess up your car and right ex- exactly <laughs> plus plus if you happen to you know live in a household where yeah. you know you disagree <laughs> with politics but that was always kind of like one of the standing things and and it was kind of a joke because every once in a while i'd, I'd forget to do it you know i mean it's like okay, 
I, you know, I'm, I'm taking the car and I'm taking it to get the oil change or something, and I just I'm in a hurry. Oh, I've got the Obama bumper sticker on there. All right, well, okay, whatever. Now I I I bring this up as sort of launching into a, a larger topic. Last last Friday night, I was uh, driving on one of those city streets that you take your life into your own hands on, and I, I was I was heading from like the North Shore across to Highway 100, and it, predictably, you you always you can't drive. You can't drive any east-west route in, in Milwaukee nowadays without seeing at least one complete and total butthead. Sometimes more, but at least one complete and total butthead. You know, driving twice the speed limit, weaving in and out of traffic, driving down the bike lane, all that type of stuff. So you, you, you just can't do it anymore. And sometimes you see five or six or whatever. So I'm, I'm driving across. This was like, oh, I want to say around eight. 8.30 maybe on Friday night and there, there's this car um, kind of a junker car and again I, I see it coming out of my rear view mirror as I'm driving across, driving down the street and it's clearly moving faster than the flow of traffic and it's going from the left lane to the right lane to the bike lane and, and back and forth and kind of weaving in and out and it, it ultimately passes me and like I said I'm going I don't know 40 miles an hour whatever the speed limit was and it's going at least 60 maybe more and I'm thinking okay this person tinted windows you know kind of a crappy car obviously I I, I don't know I'm, I'm being judgmental but I'm wondering okay where are they really in this bigger hurry to get to but as the car kind of cuts me off pulling in front of me and it wasn't unique to cutting me off it's cutting other people off I, I see that there's there's bumper stickers on, on the back of, of the car one is the coexist thing one is sort of one of these kind of um, like ratty, the, the old blue fist. Remember from like the Act 10 days, you know, like the anti-Scott Walker, the, the blue fist thing. And one is a, um, it was a Bernie Sanders sticker. So, I mean, okay, so I've now been cut off by this car, coexist, Bernie Sanders, and the, the, the blue fist. Well, okay, I, again... I, I see this, and it's not just the fact that the person is driving like a complete and total butthead, but it's also, I see these different bumper stickers, and I admit, I form a judgment in my mind about the person that is driving this particular automobile. Um, I bring this up because there was a story the other day in the Chicago Tribune um, talking about the types of people who have bumper stickers nowadays. And how when they interview drivers, um, more more and more drivers are getting ticked off by the bumper stickers that, that other people have. And it's also the idea that bumper stickers are trying to, they're kind of falling out of favor as less and less people use them. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I confess, I I can't imagine a scenario where I would be putting a bumper sticker on my car. I, I don't think I would I don't think I would go the political route because again, people people draw conclusions when you have the political bumper stickers there and even though it is definitely wrong, you know, you, you're driving around with a Trump bumper sticker on, for example. You know, your car, there's crazy people out there, and, and your car may very well, you know, be targeted. Oh, there's a Trump supporter here. I'm going to key the car or, or whatever. So just, 
you know, just for pure self-preservation, I wouldn't do that. In addition, I, I think when you see these bumper stickers, now with, there's, there's exceptions. Support the troops. You know, who, who's going to get upset with support the troops? But in general, I think more and more people are just coming to the conclusion that, you know, we want to stay away from bumper stickers. Okay, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you ever put a bumper sticker on your car? Do you have bumper stickers on your car? And and what why do you why do you do it? Is it hey, I've got a bumper sticker, I love the Wisconsin Dells or I love Door County because you love the Dells and you love Door County. I mean, what is it nowadays that motivates you to put sticker bumper stickers on cars? And when you see cars with bumper stickers, do you generally draw certain conclusions, good or bad? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And when it comes to this, I am I am convinced that this is like women are from Mars, men are from Venus. I am convinced that there's two types of people in the world. There's the people that put bumper stickers on their vehicles. And then there's the people who say, no way in heck. All right, we discuss next. If you're on the line, hold on. It's 1116. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1118, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The the big story out, there's a new study, survey, that talks about the reactions that people have to bumper stickers. Bumper stickers, I think, used to be a lot more common. Um, And in general, it's it's negative. Um, you know, people see cars with bumper stickers, and again, it depends on the nature of the bumper stickers. There's some that you know, how can you not like a support the troops bumper sticker? But when it comes to some of the edgier ones or some of the political ones, um, in general, the reaction is generally negative. I wouldn't put one on my car. Um, interestingly enough, Southerners um, in this survey are the most likely to favor bumper stickers, and interestingly, women are much more likely than men to put bumper stickers on their car. Let's start with Dave in Wauwatosa. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning. What do you think? Uh, I I don't have a bumper sticker on, but I'm tempted to put a small, I'm a Vietnam vet, I'm right. tempted to put just a small Vietnamese flag in the back. No one would really know what it was except other veterans, and it's, you know, maybe just a way of getting a long overdue right. thanks. Right. Uh, but not, not a political statement, nothing like that, just uh, something personal and, and small. And that's really all I have to say about it. Okay. Well, thank, well I mean, thanks. I mean, I guess, see, and I, I right, and, and those are the types of things that, I mean, I, I think, for example, you, there are certain stuff that I, I would like to think that isn't controversial. But, you know, an American flags you would hope would not be one. But it, it is interesting. And, I mean, I, I, I'm guilty of this. If, like on Saturday night, the car with the Bernie Sanders bumper sticker and the coexist and the kind of ratty blue fist, when it kind of cuts me off, I draw a conclusion, fair or not, about the person that's driving that car. It, you, you can flip it around. You know, if you see somebody driving around with a Donald Trump bumper sticker and a, you know, an NRA sticker, you're probably going to draw those conclusions as well, fair or not. Um, you know, would you put a bumper sticker on your car? Let's talk to Paul in Sheboygan. Paul, you're on 620 BTMJ. Good morning. Oh, hey. Oh, hi. Hi, Paul. Uh, hey, uh, you know, I'm just calling to say that, no, I, I usually think... Uh, Bumper stickers on cars look pretty gaudy, and uh, I just, I don't know, I just don't, uh, it's not something that I would usually put on my car, but I do have one on my car because I'm a Navy veteran, and I'm very proud of that, so I do have, uh, it's kind of, 
it's kind of like a college sticker. Um, right. Except, you know, except it doesn't say UW Wisconsin. It says uh, U.S. Navy veteran, and, and I'm very proud of that one. So. Right. And, and see, and I get that. Yeah. I mean, th- right. I, I mean, thanks for the call, Paul, and thank you for your service. I mean, yeah, I understand that. Or I'm a proud parent of a you know, you know Greenfield High School honor student, or, or whatever that would be. It is. It is interesting, though, in in today's more device society, diverse and divisive society, that you have people who, again, there's two types of people in the world. There's the people who would never put a bumper sticker on, or it would be what I'm describing as a benign one. And then there's the other people. It's going to be in your face. I've got the Bernie bumper sticker on here. I've got the coexist bumper sticker. Let's put the blue fist on. And then let's drive like 95 miles an hour on this road. And, and again, I, I understand trying not to be too political on this, but you, you can flip it around as well. 414-799-1620 is the number. Rick in New Berlin. Rick, you're on 620 BTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Rick. Um, yeah, kind of the same situation you're in. My wife has bumper st- stickers in her tr- on her truck and, um, and on my vehicle. I just, I mean, I've got personalized plates and I've got a small Freemason logo, but nothing like in your face. <laughs> right. Um, my wife, in my wife's truck, I have to drive frequently. And, um, and, and coincidentally, she spent six years living in the South. <laughs> yeah. So, well, that's, so I, well, that's kind of proves your points there. Yeah? Um, well, that, yeah, it is. It, okay. Survey of more than 2,000 Americans found that women are more likely than men to have a bumper sticker by 63% to 50%. Southerners are the biggest fans with more than two out of three, um, you know, uh, putting putting them on. So it's, uh, yeah, what, what can you say? I, thanks for, I mean, I, it, it is interesting to me. I wonder why, you, you wonder why it would be women that would end up um, doing that. Just absolutely um, bizarre. Um, okay, my, a friend of mine says, behind a car right now with a bumper sticker, it says adopt. Um, seems like that's a, if you're going to have one, have a good message. And oh, my friend says, I hate the honor student stickers. Okay, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to uh, let's see, Dick on Big Cedar Lake. Dick, you're on six twenty BTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, great show. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks. Okay, uh, we're talking bumper stickers now, pal. What what do you think? Do you have one? Oh yeah, I've got a few on on the back of my old pickup truck. One is uh, "Freedom is not free." Support our troops. My right. son did tour in Iraq. Uh, then I've got another one on the bumper that says "Oh, lighten up." <laughs> and uh, I've got I've got another bumper sticker. It's a uh, circle with a triangle in the middle of it. And uh, you can figure that one yeah. out. <laughs> I, you know, it, well, you know, it's it, it's things we I mean, it's interesting. I, again, it, again, there's two types of people in the world, and it, it's interesting that, that some people use those as as forms of political expression. One of my colleagues here, and I was actually talking, woman, I was talking to this the other day. She got bumper stickers all over the back of her car, and parks regularly a lot. I was actually, uh, I was saying, but but the bumper stickers are, they're they're not political. They're there's like lots of. There's like b- lots of beer bumper stickers, like bumper stickers for all the different you know, like breweries and stuff that they visited. Let's talk to uh, Bob in Waukesha. Bob, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, good morning, sir. Hey, I would concur pretty much with uh, what Dick had to say. I, I don't put bumper stickers per se on my vehicles. I have a few magnets. Right. Uh, United States Army Vietnam War veteran, a wounded warrior project. Uh, right. And, you know, I, I think those... I, I would hope those are pretty safe. Now, i got to tell you, Harley-Davidson offers motorcycles to exclusively to police officers and firefighters. Right. 
and I've owned a police officer special, and they have inserts on the Cloisonne, and I never put the inserts on the Cloisonne <laughs> because I wanted it to remain generic. Well, that's yeah. They, they, see, that's that's kind of it too. I mean, they, I mean, and again, I will tell you one of the. Uh, one of the the hesitations I, I do have in today's day and age, and this goes back to how we started. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, you know, it's kind of like okay, given how crazy people are, you're sitting there wondering, okay, if you've got that NRA bumper sticker on your car, you've got the the, the Trump bumper sticker on your car. I mean, are you just inviting, you know, somebody to, you know do something to, to the vehicle, you know, when you park it out at the Mayfair Mall. Um, and that's that's kind of, that's one of the reasons why I just, when I'm driving my car, I prefer to remain uh, anonymous. It's one of the reasons why I've never had a personalized plate as well. When I worked in the U.S. Attorney's Office, there was guys I worked with that had, you know, licensed personalized plates that made a big deal of what they did for a living. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure I necessarily want to be that um vocal about it. Sam in Waukesha. Sam, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, Jeff, I don't wear, I don't use bumper stickers personally, but I always found amusing when you go by the guy with the gal, with a sticker, I closed Wall Street, <laughs> and I wonder what the police officer's reaction to that is at 2.30 in the morning. Yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly right. That, that's one of the ubiquitous ones that's out there, the I closed Wall Street. A- absolutely. And I, you're, you're right. But is it, is it okay? You're driving down the road at 2.30 in the morning. Thanks for the call. I, that's, but I, I do, and, and some of them, again, some of them are fun. Uh, I just, in today's day and age, I would never have a political one at at all, I, I just, I, I just wouldn't, and I think they're starting to fall more and more out of favor. But it, it's one of the, it's one of the cheap ways of First Amendment expression. But perhaps, again, if you're driving down the road, you've got the NRA bumper sticker and the Trump bumper sticker, you might not want to drive like a madman or like the person that was driving like the madman on Saturday night. Um, the raised fist, the coexist, the Bernie bumper sticker. Okay, if you're going to be supporting causes, at least don't be crazy. It's 11.35, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Major League Baseball's All-Star Game is fast approaching, and the first-place Brewers seem poised to put multiple names on the National League roster. Who's a lock? Who needs help? Greg Matzik goes through the names during Sports Central 715 on 620 WTMJ. Okay, um, let's see, bumper sticker stories. Um, Catherine writes, this applies to sports affiliations as well. My husband had a Green Bay Packers sunshade in his front window years ago. We live in Illinois, and somebody scratched Packers sock, etc., all around his brand-new car. His car needed a completely new paint job. Since then, we have watched what we put on our cars. Um, okay, uh, she's asked me not to mention her name, so I will honor that, but she sends me this picture. And so this is, uh, I caught this on the road the other day. She took a photo of this. Um, you know the bumper stickers where you say, my child is an honor student at Greendale High School or whatever? This one, honest to God, says, my child was inmate of the month at county jail. <laughs> okay, who would put that on your car? I mean, it's, it, it would just who would put that on your car? Unless you're just trying to, you know, give the world a smile, just saying. All right. As long as we are speaking about automobiles, and this is a, I think it's a real timely one for um, the summer. It used to be, back in the day when I was a kid and growing up, um, there were 
Well, there were one of the things that we would do that, that used to be cheap entertainment is my buddies and I, we would pile into, depending on how many of us there were, I had two friends that had convertibles. And back in the day, that was the way to go. You cultivate friends that have convertibles because, you know, the convertibles, and again, it, it's different now, but, you know, a lot of the convertibles were kind of leaky and whatever. They, they weren't necessarily made for Wisconsin weather. But I had two friends that had convertibles. And what we would do is we would pile into the convertibles and we would go to drive-in movies. You know, there was a drive-in movie theater up on the northwest side. There was the drive-in movie theater that was on the south side. And we would have the best of times. Matter of fact, when, when we get together, we, we still talk about Remember that night we went to see this drive-in movie or that drive-in movie? Um, drive-in movies have kind of gone the way of, of the dodo bird. There's, I, I think by my count, there's three left in Wisconsin. There's um, one that's in Jefferson, um, the Highway 18 Outdoor Theater. There's one up in Chilton, and there's um, one in, in Freedom, Wisconsin, which is kind of like the, the center of, of the state. Now, there might be more, but I, I don't think so. So it's now down to three. And I, I was actually thinking about this, again, with the start of the summer, because there was, a, there was a, a piece in USA Today about how even though drive-in movies are, are kind of are, are largely disappearing, because nowadays just getting somebody out to a movie theater is is hard. With, with with live streaming and with surround sound and with big screen TVs, I mean it's hard enough to get people just to go to an average movie theater. But but there are still some drive-in movie theaters that are existing. And in this piece that I was reading in USA Today was talking about how how much. This particular writer enjoyed, you know, going to enjoyed going to the theaters. Well, somebody saying Door County has one too. Well, that would kind of make sense. Um, but you had this this whole notion about how, you know, even though nowadays we we all want to, you know, we, we want to stay home. It's tough enough to get people to go and spend stupid money to pay for the theater ticket and then pay really stupid money to have the um, you know, popcorn or or whatever. The What's happening is there's now at least some sense of nostalgia that's out there. You know, people thinking, hey, this this might be a, a fun thing to go to. And I admit it has been years, years and years since I have been to a drive-in movie. But, you know, I, I, remember, I remember my parents taking me to drive-in movies. Um, and I have the fondest memories of, again, as a, as a teenager, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old, going to the, these drive-in, you know, going to a drive-in movie. It was just a, a great way for kind of a cheap night of entertainment. And now they, they are, they're disappearing. There's just not that many that are around. But, and, and part of it is because of the entertainment. You know, people just don't go out as much um, and, and don't want to necessarily go to the drive-ins. There's, in Wisconsin, it's clearly seasonal. It's not like you're in Key West. And you can have a drive-in movie theater that's open year-round. So it, it's a seasonal type of thing. In a lot of cases, the, the movies, in addition to just the economics of it, a lot of cases the, the land has a certain value. And you know the owners of the land find that it makes more sense to sell the land off to condos or for NML to build a new office building um, as opposed to you know keeping it as, as a drive-in movie theater. But I, I do think... 
there is some something going on when it comes to the nostalgia. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, let us take a walk down memory lane on a very nice summer Monday. I miss having more drive-in movies. And I have to tell you, if there were drive-in movies that were closer to where I lived, I think I would be much more inclined to go to them. I think that there is still a market for this. I miss the drive-in movie theaters, and if there one, and again, there, there's one in Jefferson, there, there's one in Chilton, but if there, if there was one in the area, I think, I think people would be inclined to do it. Okay, somebody says there's one in the Dells. Okay, Door County in the Dells, that would make sense. I mean, you're going to these vacation areas, but um, do you miss the drive-ins? Do you think that hey, everything old is is new again? My gosh, we're putting $120 million into building a streetcar in downtown Milwaukee that's going to run 2.1 miles. I would much rather see a drive-in movie. And you know what? I think in today's day and age, I think they would work. 414-799-1620 is the number. All right, drive-in movie lovers of Wisconsin unite. We're going to talk about this next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It is 1142. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1146, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, so there's the three in, in, in eastern Wisconsin. There's the one in, um, you could drive in, you've got the one in Chilton, you've got one in Freedom, you've got one in Jefferson. Apparently the Wisconsin Dells and Door County also have a drive-in theater. There might be one more that's out there as well, maybe two. But, I mean, you've got, the estimates are nationwide. Uh, nationwide, there are approximately... Um, one one hundred and forty drive-in theaters left. That's that's the that's the number. Um, that's down from well at, at the heyday. There was about four thousand locations. I actually, and maybe this is just nostalgia taking over. I actually think that there might be a market for this. I mean, low-cost family entertainment. Um, where you, you can go out and you can see a couple movies and you, you don't need the high overhead from the perspective of the movie theater operators. You don't necessarily need the movie palace. You just need, you know, the car and a couple speakers. Tom in West Dallas. Tom, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. How you doing, Jeff? Well, well, thank you, sir. I remember, I mean, my took my kids. I had four of them. And we went to the drive-in, and it was nice because you didn't have to get a babysitter. The kids, we already had the kids in the pajamas, basically, and all that, you know, depending on uh, what age they were and that. And just, right. You know, back the car and backwards, or we actually had a minivan so we could fold <laughs> the seats down a little bit. And and then the snacks and all, everything was there right for them. And when they, when they were tired, they fell asleep, and all we had to do was carry them in to bed at the end of the night. Right. So, and still able to have a night out with the family at a nice cheap price it's sort of a reasonable price i i think there is that i mean thanks i mean i think there is that value to nostalgia um let's see uh the best part of the one in the wisconsin dells this is the text line it's two movies for the price of one yeah they're almost all double features we took our kids and saw the new pirates of the caribbean movie and then saw guardians of the galaxy number two yeah that, that's how they almost always operate uh jeff the drive-in in freedom has two screens and if you park in the adult section you can either bring your own favorite beverage in or they do have a bar and great food we bring lawn chairs pipe the audio through a boom box when our kids were small they loved sitting 
sitting on a blanket on the ground. Uh, let's see. I've been to the one near Fish Creek. Fun, nostalgic experience. So, I mean, those are all good. But then, of course, you've got the other side. This is the flip side. Terry and Slinger texts, Jeff, if the outside movie theater is such a great idea, um, well, you must have enough money. Go ahead and start one. Don't expect me to attend. Well, I, I that, see, that's the interesting thing. I mean, is this... Is it a doomed business model? Now, I appreciate that in Wisconsin, again, because of the short season, it makes it, it probably makes it a little bit tougher. But I don't know. I bet you, I'll bet you the ones in like Wisconsin Dells or I'll bet you the one in, in Door County. I mean, it's, to me, that would be a perfect vacation thing. I mean, if, if you're, if you're in the Dells for a few days and you're looking for some in- entertainment, you know, in the evening, hey, let, let's all pile everybody in the car and let's go over and let's, let's see the movie. Uh, let's see. Bill in Cedarburg. Bill, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. I, I do think they're kind of cool, but I do I, I do remember as a kid going to those things, and I remember sitting in the car with, you know, four or five people, and the windows all fogged up. <laughs> see anything. And then if you cracked the window open, then the mosquitoes would come in. <laughs> and uh, I just remember it kind of being a pain, but it was fun to go to the snack bar thing and, right. you know, the intermission and all that stuff. But I don't know. It's kind of almost more trouble than it's worth. Like, okay, so you you weren't you weren't necessarily a fan of it when you were growing up, and and now as an adult, there's no way you're going back there, huh? Right. But again, I think it's kind of cool for a kid. I think kids like stuff like this. Well, yeah. I mean, right. Well, it's also, I mean, relatively. I mean, it, it's relatively inexpensive family entertainment. Again, you know, what do, what do they charge? I mean, again, if you look at. And see, some of them, some of them let you bring your own food in. Others have policies uh, against it because, I mean, the truth of the matter is, uh, movie theaters in general. I'm not sure. I think the ticket prices, they pretty much, if they're lucky, they break even with what they have to pay to rent the the the, uh, the films. Where they make their money is the concessions, where you go and you get the the, the soda and you get the thing of popcorn and you pay eighteen dollars or whatever it is for it. Let's talk to Deb in West Bend. Deb, good morning. You're at six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. It's funny that you mentioned this because I was in Shano this past week, and that's where I grew up. And they have an outdoor theater still, and there's probably 20, 25 people lined up as we were going out <laughs> of 29. Right. And they all, and in fact, they were mentioned on the world news. With like, there's only seven or eight in in the United States. And um, anyway, in the advertisement I got home, it says they have White Castle burgers, too, <laughs> now. And um, it was a wonderful experience and wonderful to be there. I, I, I was like nostalgic, and yeah. some good things are back again. We don't have to have the same old stuff, and it's, it's like you what? said. Put the kids in the pajamas and everything. Right, and, 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 right and, and go out and I mean, thanks for, and, and have fun. Now, and there there might be seven or eight in Wisconsin. There, there's about 135 nationwide because we've already, I mean, I went through the three and then people were saying, when you were talking about Shawano and the Wisconsin Dells and um, up in Door County. So, I mean, right there you're talking about like seven or eight that would be in the state. But again, it's, I mean, I'm not surprised that people are necessarily, you know, lined up to uh, do this. Scott in Green Bay. Scott, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Okay, you a fan of this? Would, would these succeed if they oh. brought it back? Oh, uh, we have one between Green Bay and Appleton. Right. I built it from the scratch, brand new. has been so popular, he's added a second screen. Really? And we, Yeah, and we, uh, our families, our friends, we have been planning for weeks to go to Despicable Me 3 this, this, this Friday. And we will get there. 
four hours be- before showtime to get in line so we make sure we get a seat. Right. Oh, really? So that it's it's that popular that you're going to have to show up way early? Yes. Gates okay. open at 6. We'll be in line by 545. Okay, this is is this. Are you talking about this is the one in the one in Chilton? Is that what you're talking about? No, this, there's one in Freedom. It's a small. Oh, Freedom. Yeah, maybe. right. Okay, yeah. got it. You're right. Yes, there's the one. Right. I, I'm I'm trying to pull up the map here. Yes, there is. There is. You're right. There's there's the one in there's the one in Freedom. There's the one in uh, again. There's the one in um, Door County. There's the one in Chilton that's out there. Um, yeah, interesting. I mean, I mean there's there's a handful of them, and I think. Again, I think there's a marketplace for it. Uh, let's talk to Christina in Wind Lake. Christina, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. I grew up with the drive-ins. We had a blast. Great memories. And when I got older and had kids, we went to the Kino in Kenosha. Right. They closed up about three years ago. And talking with the owners, they said they couldn't afford to go digital. And that was the big problem. But we'd go there Friday or Saturday night. It was packed. And it was one of the best times ever. And I, I just, I was wondering if these are all digital and, you know, how much money is it? It must be very costly to close something that was very busy. And right. yes, it's seasonal, but, you know, I don't know how much it costs to go to digital. And then they just had to close. They couldn't afford to stay open. Right. Yeah. And thanks for, I mean, yeah. And, and Christina, what you're talking about is that um, historically, Movies were shown on film. You'd have the the reels of film, you know, and you put them through the projectors and you show them. Nowadays, almost everything is digital, and that means lots of movie theaters had to completely revamp. And and I, off the top of my head, I don't know what the cost was either, but I remember talking about this a few years ago. The cost was just prohibitive, made it very difficult for a lot of, like, the small independent movie theaters to operate. And I'm sure that's one of the factors with the drive-in. So I I, I just want to take a walk down memory lane. Um, As you're looking for things to do, in the course of the summer, and Lord knows, you know, we have a lot of stuff to do. There's all sorts of different choices, but you know, sometimes there is that nostalgia. And maybe if you live in an area or close to an area where there is one of those drive-in movie theaters, go out and check it out. And um, I don't know for people who've never been to a drive-in movie theater, if you're under the age of thirty or something, all right, be open-minded about it. It's going to be more fun than you think.